Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 4, Episode 10, Shattered Sight. The air date for this episode was December 7th, 2014. The writers for this episode was Scott Nimfero and Zha Chung. This episode marks the first from Zha Chung, writer and producer best known for his work on Children of Invention, Cold Comes in the Night, and Gotham. He will contribute to a total of 18 episodes of Once Upon a Time. The director for this episode was Gwyneth Horder Payton, and the title card features a blizzard or the spell of Shattered Sight. We begin in Boston of 1982, just moments after Ingrid stepped into the land without magic. She walks along a rain-drenched street to come across a neon sign advertising the services of a psychic, Madame Faustina. Ingrid asks if the sorceress can use her powers to look for a girl not yet born. Madame Faustina plays along, sits at her crystal ball, and asks Ingrid how she will express her gratitude. Ingrid initially just thanks her, but when payment is clarified, she offers her exquisite gem encrusted necklace. That was a cute touch for me. I love this actress who's playing Madame Faustina, and we'll get into who she is after the recap. But like, I'm totally expecting her to tell Ingrid that she can find Emma in the basement of the Alamo. <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> Madame Faustina calls upon her spirits, which tell her she sees a young girl named Susan. Enraged, Ingrid storms out, declaring that the girl's name is Emma Swan because the apprentice's scroll said so. The psychic's true Southie accent comes out as she yells after Ingrid, telling her to scram, or else Ingrid is going to get a wicked beating. And I fucking love that. It's very Bostonian. Incensed, Ingrid raises her hand to blast the other woman with her powers, only to find that they don't work. Madame Faustina raises her trusty baseball bat, and Ingrid hits the bricks. In present-day Storybrooke, Ingrid is walking along the high street, relishing her work as the spell of Shattered Sight descends upon the town. We see a slice of chaos, including Happy chasing after Leroy with Granny's crossbow. We return to the purge, already in progress. <laughs> at the sheriff's station, Snow and Charming are griping at each other with her accusing him of being a fraud and him calling her a spoiled princess. Which could be worse. Oh, wait. Oh, except David brings up Dr. Whale possibly being Baby Neil's real dad, and that is not going to end well, is it? Kristoff is handcuffed to the desk, having second thoughts about marriage and his haircut. Anna decides to step away from him and check in on Elsa and Emma, who are in the main office. Fun fact time. In this first scene at the sheriff's station, the clock shows 8.15, which we know is just always a reference to the Oceanic Airlines flight 8.15 from Lost. But more important here, honestly, I think is that it's the time the clock was stopped at for 28 years in season one of Once Upon a Time. Yeah. So it looks like the spell was cast at likely 8.15 again. Mm -hmm. Emma is struggling to come up with a plan when Anna has a light bulb moment. She recalls that Ingrid got the idea of the shattered sight from the fairy tale The Trolled in Glass, a tale in which the king was killed in order for the curse to break. Elsa is adamant about not restoring to murder, but mm, Emma ain't afraid to cap the Snow Queen if it comes down to it. Emma smoothly gives her baby brother to Anna before making a hasty exit. 
Elsa placates her worried sister, who wants to be by Elsa's side when the other women confront Ingrid. Elsa wishes for Anna to stay safe and keep watch over the others. After assuring Anna that she trusts Emma, her new bestie and totally her girlfriend maybe, Anna relents. Anna so badly wants to be involved and kick some ass. I felt kind of bad for her being left behind the babysit. Well, that's what you get for going, I love kids. <laughs> when a woman has a baby in her hands. I, yeah. That's why you say no and just put your hands in your pockets when you're asked if you like children. Yeah. We get a quick comical background focus of Mary Margaret telling David off, saying at least Whale is a doctor, except he's not, and knows which part is which. Dr. Whale is technically a doctor, right? Because... Frankenstein is a doctor. No. So he he is a doctor. He is a doctor? Yeah. Victor Frankenstein is doctor. Well, he's not that kind of doctor. You know what I mean? No. He's a reanimator. Let's be real. And he's a wannabe necromancer. <laughs> the man of science. Oh, Frankenstein is often referred to in popular culture as Dr. Frankenstein. Although in Shelley's novel, he was an amateur scientist who was not in possession of a doctorate. Is it just like a weird thing that like... It's just a weird thing that's in the collective. onto? Yeah. That's so weird. He's been made a doctor in some movie adaptations. But yeah, he was in the novel. Yeah, I did think in the book he was more of a mad scientist type. Mm -hmm. like he was kind of just a spoiled rich boy who could right, and to have be left a profession, alone to his experiments. Right, because I was like, wait, but he's like really, like he's aristocracy. So to like have a profession is like beneath them, you know? I wonder how that got tacked on then. Like, I'm looking it up, too, and it looks like it's just some of the movie adaptations just decided he was. Did they do that in the Universal one? Like, was that the first one? Potentially. I'm wondering if it was part of them trying to, I don't know, make it more relevant to the modern era, considering mm -hmm, modern that's... people wouldn't understand why a guy just who didn't yeah. have to work would have all this disposable income. I don't think they understood the whole, like, your family will just let you do shit. Yeah. If you're right. rich yeah. enough thing. Yeah, especially so in like an American why. movie, like we would, yeah, like, that's so far removed from like our culture. And I mean, it was at a time when movies are very much like for the working class man. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why they were like, he needs to actually have a profession. Maybe. Yeah, we need people to relate to him because we're going to actually like make the monster a monster. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking. I cannot. I cannot find anything other than them just being like, yeah. I'm just finding the like later depictions shows him as a doctor. Because mm -hmm. I think maybe in the um, Kenneth Branagh version from like 94 or 93, I think that one, he's a doctor. Like, I know that Dr. Whale gets his name from the original Universal adaptation. Yeah, you're right. James Whale directed Frankenstein. As we learned a Whale. lot about James Whale in a... I just couldn't a, remember what his name was. I just wrote Whale. Essay recently, and it was fascinating. Was it one of the James Somerton Yeah, it was a James Somerton video. Uh-huh. He's yeah. so good. I love James Somerton. Me too. His video essays are incredible. Yeah, he has a lot of really good video essays on, like, pre-code Hollywood. Ooh. Yeah, and, like, the Purple Panic and everything. Mm-hmm. He's a lovely queer Canadian who does essays just about queer media. What's his name? James, James Somerton. Somerton. Thank you. Oh, it is the Universal Adaptation. Dr. Henry Frankenstein is the main protagonist in the classic Universal adaptations of Mary Shelley's 1818 novel, which doesn't use Victor. They changed him to Henry for some reason and made him a doctor. I, I think to sound less German. Potentially. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Having a very German name in 1931 probably is not going to sell to the American public. No. I had completely forgotten that they had made him not Victor. But Dr. Whale was called Victor Frankenstein in his world, right? Yeah, I think they went back to the novel name for Once Upon a Time, because that's what the original mm -hmm. one. So we have Universal to thank for the Dr. Frankenstein. Okay. Which then 
then We're also detectives. makes sense because that's where they got the last name whale from so right it does make sense that they made him a doctor in this adaptation right there we go we solved the mystery detective work we are now the rescue rangers Kristoff, <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile just throws random paperwork haphazardly at david i love Kristoff checking papers at snow and charming cells like he just wants to be involved He's just feeling a little left out. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's Kristoff's vibe for like his part in this spell. <laughs> He's just like, I am also here. I am also yeah, here I'm and angry. Here and I'm mad. <laughs> Don't forget that I'm also here. No one's paid attention to me for a cool minute. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the mill's crypt, Regina is enraged to discover that she has been sealed in her own vault. She immediately blames Emma and becries, This is what I get for being subtle. <laughs> Christ. Which, which had me rolling. Because even though this is a line for all of us to giggle at, it just did prove, though, once again, that Lana is queen of comedy. Catching a glimpse of herself in the mirror, Regina is confused to see herself in modern clothes and then magics herself in her good old fashioned evil queen regalia. Oh, good. The bassoon music is back. Bum, 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 bum. I, I loved evil Regina immediately being like, ew, what is this business casual nonsense? Where are my beautiful, busty evil queen looks? Like, she has the right priorities here. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere, Hook has entered the pawn shop to see gold packing and Bell mm, nowhere in sight. He wonders why the curse has spared him, as in himself, only for gold to explain that because Killian's heart is outside of his body, he cannot be cursed. Protective custody, so to speak. He orders Killian to find Henry and bring him to the town line, where he will be with Belle. Mr. Gold is waiting for the stars in the sky to align with the stars in the stupid hat, because something, magic, magic, something, he can be released from the clutches of the dagger, but still retain his powers. Blah, blah, blah. When the stars in the sky align with the stars in the hat is one of the dumbest lines in a television show ever, and I am so tired of hearing about this dumb hat. I almost forgot about the dumb hat until like he started saying that. And like my brain immediately went to that old crooner song. What is that? When, when the pizza, what is the, when pizza? the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie? That's amore. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what it sounded like he was starting to say. And I was just like, excuse me, what? <laughs> I mean, it makes about as much sense as exactly. anything else going on right now, to be perfectly fair. Yeah. Killian asks why Rumple doesn't just magic Henry by his side. But Gold explains he doesn't know where Henry's mothers have locked him away. And he uses that exact verbiage, and I love that. <laughs> I don't know where his mothers put him. <laughs> Hook doesn't believe that Gold will get away with his nefarious plot, but Gold boasts that he will come out looking like the hero as neither Belle or Henry will recall anything from this curse. Only that Gold tried to save who he could and that they are all safe and sound in New York. Dude, Henry would not believe that for a second. That lad is too clever. He would kick Mr. Gold's ass and come back for his gay moms. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. In her ice cream parlor, hidden in the carrot sherbet, Ingrid takes out two purple objects. I don't look. The rock. I know the that. Well, yeah, I know that now. <laughs> but like when she initially pulled them out and they were like, you know, kind of like latex PVC looking, I was like, I could not unsee. Gross. Oh, like, no. Some sort of like naughtiness. And I was just like, ma'am, this is a Disney show. <laughs> oh, no. I was just like, oh, this is why we had the Bell episode with the memory rock. It was for this payoff. But <laughs> oh, God. I oh, 
Yeah, it's the same memory stones that Grand Poppy had Belle's memories in in episodes six of the season, The Family Business. So, like, I think that's the reason the whole Bell episode happened, right? To set up this plot device of these memory stones that are so important in this episode. They shouldn't just paint it like, a, like, get a rock. You know what I mean? Like, they made it CG. And I was just like, why would you CG a fucking rock? Because it looks like a soft core toy. And I'm just gross. like, no, no, <laughs> no. It's funny, though. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Gross. At least later in the episode, when they show it, it's the same purple crystal stone. They say stone, but it's, it's crystal, as they were in the episode The Family Business. But anyway, she exits the building only to be confronted by Elsa and Emma, who order her to stop the madness. They try to use their magic on Ingrid to no avail. The Snow Queen explains that the magic from the bond flowing between the ribbons on all their wrists is too powerful. Furthermore, her niece and Emma will soon not want to hurt Ingrid, but love her as her sisters once did. We are taken to Minnesota of 1999, when Emma has arrived in her new foster home under Ingrid's care. Emma is being bullied by one of the other kids and tries to slip out that night, but Ingrid is waiting for her on the couch, with a mug of cocoa and an invitation for Emma to join her. Emma declines, but listens as Ingrid tells her she once tried to run away as well, but people who cared for her intervened as she is doing for Emma now. As Emma turns to go, Ingrid adds that she understands how difficult it must be to live under the same roof as someone like Kevin, the boy who was bullying her, whose arachnophobia is revealed in depth along with the location of rubber spiders that Ingrid keeps in her desk. Emma decides to stay one more day. Honestly, as a character choice for Ingrid, her becoming a foster mom actually made a lot of sense to me. Like, it's not a surprising choice for her. You can see her have the potential of actually being happy in this new life. Yeah, she was clearly also doing this for a while because they don't just like give you a pile of kids like that. You know what I mean? She had a house. It was set up. It was in a nice neighborhood and all this kind of stuff. You know, she also talked very gently to them. Like, so she had a knack for them. She seemed pretty happy, too. And I'm actually kind of bummed out that, like, she doesn't go back to this life. Yeah. To, like, help other kids, like, find their families and find their, like, happy endings and whatever. But, you know, whatever we got. We got what we got. Yeah. <laughs> That's the subtitle of this show. <laughs> we, we got, got what, what we got. got. We got what we got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In present day Storybrooke, Emma goes to the pawn shop in the hopes Mr. Gold is there to help her and Elsa rid themselves of the ribbons. Alas, he is nowhere to be found, and Emma, the big lug, grabs a nasty as fuck cutlass. <laughs> She's like, I'm just gonna hack at these ribbons. <laughs> Emma, hack. Oh my god, no. Meanwhile, Killian is making his way through the streets of Storybrooke, where it is a fisticuff brawling city, like the aftermath of a Yankees versus the Mets. Yes, that was a sports ball joke, and no, I will not explain. Oh, yeah. Sports. That's a thing I definitely know and understand. <laughs> Back at the jail, Mary, Margaret, and David are still bickering really over the most mundane shit. And Anna, bless her heart, is trying to counsel them through it. I love that Jennifer does a deeper voice for Snow in this episode. It's like the same way she carries herself in season one, episode 16, Heart of Darkness, and that flashback, which was like the last time we got a darker Snow White after she took that forgetting potion you're lucky it wasn't that mug you call a face <laughs> yes that was such a fun snow white to have for an episode mm -hmm. 
Oddly enough, David and Mary Margaret have their old memories of their meet cute intact and not the ones they are supposed to remember because of Emma and Killian's excellent adventure through time. Whatever. So I remember the one they mentioned is that of Snow White getting caught in the net, which did happen in both, at least. I'm they trying to remember. The rock. They mentioned the rock, right? And it was a jewelry box the second time. Because mm-hmm. it was the same, like, her hitting him. She got the same scar, but it was a jewelry box in the tower. I don't know. Maybe they have both sets of memories now. It's either a mistake or maybe they remember both. I'm going with mistake. <laughs> Christoph and David start bickering. And then Mary Margaret turns her attention to Anna, declaring that, yes, she sings talks to birds and she's a killer she murders she is a murderer as she murdered the evil queen's mommy and she did not mean her apology anna is just really wishing that she were back in arendelle we return to the pawn shop where emma has gone through a number of wacky objects to cut the ribbon with no success elsa remarks on the powerful love ingrid talked about which emma doesn't recollect as she was too busy thinking about punching ingrid god bless you emma The power within the ribbons may be without equal, but not without an opposite that's equally strong. Emma's genius plan? Regina. Elsa remarks that while Emma may be a bit prickly, she is not hateable. Elsa is not too keen on this harebrained scheme, but it's all they've got. So it's off to the mill's vault. They go. I loved Emma going, I'm prickly. I thought it was a very cute moment. She's like, I've been trying so hard to be less of a harp ass. And I also just really love that their immediate answer to something being equally as powerful is just an unhinged Regina's hatred of Emma. Mm -hmm. At her ice cave, Ingrid is drawing out the magic from whatever stone thing that she got. And it turns out that they contain Emma's memories of her time in Ingrid's care. We are taken to the past where Ingrid guides Emma on the crane machine at like a Ford walkie looking funfair pushing her to focus as she waits with bated breath to see a literal spark of Emma's innate power come through, or what she believes it to be. As Emma enjoys her prize, Ingrid becomes emotional, causing the young girl to believe that she is about to be sent away to a new home. Ingrid corrects her, sharing that she has filled out the paperwork to adopt Emma and they will be a family. Ingrid says that while she doesn't expect Emma to think of her like a mother, she will be the best big sister ever. Overcome with emotion, Emma embraces her and lets her soon-to-be-adopted guardian know that she loves her. In the present, Emma tests out the vault security and susses out the containment spell Regina put herself in. With encouragement from Elsa, Emma is able to break the containment spell and charge in. She is stopped short at Regina's evil queen garb but presses on, antagonizing her by confessing that not only did she intentionally bring Marion back, but she wanted to flaunt her new relationship with Hook in front of her so Regina could see what she will never have. Oh no, I know what the writer actually meant by this, but oh no, my poor swan queen heart. Enraged, Regina casts Fireball, which gives Emma and Elsa just a split second to duck, leaving only their hands up. Regina's hate melts the ribbons instantly. She is like the anti-Care Bear stare. Emma knocks Regina back with her powers before racing up and out of the vault with Elsa. I love that they just sort of like right the fuck out of there. Like they didn't even bother to try and reapply the containment spell or shut the door. And it's just like, come on now. You have to contain that. <laughs> She's dangerous. I guess the ribbons are gone and that's good. But she basically just released an A-bomb on Storybrooke, guys. Right? <laughs> like, good, good job. I love how fantastically campy Lana was in the scene. Like her delivery of her response to Emma commenting on her outfit, she was just like, because I've got poise or 
the poise of a queen I got the poise of a queen it was very funny meanwhile hook has located henry at the mayoral office and requests the boy come with him a sulky moody henry tells killian off confessing he never liked him especially now as hook and his mom are together this cheers hook up briefly at the prospect of emma saying that they are quote together but he quickly refocuses on the task at hand using the red powder gold gave him which i totally forgot to mention earlier sorry about it gold gave him a little vial of red powder there's a lot of hijinks going on okay hook is able to unlock the door but henry has macaulay culkin the room with a littering of marbles that killian instantly trips over I honestly kind of enjoy snotty home alone obsessed Henry. Like mm-hmm. he makes me giggle. He isn't letting any smelly eyeliner man get in the way of his gay moms. <laughs> it was a very good and very fun moment. God, where is the deleted scene that's just two hours of Henry and Killian reenacting Home Alone during this whole Disney does the purge arc? Like that'd be so funny as just the continuous C plot of this episode. Mm-hmm. I want that so bad. Please give us more of Henry's Home Alone antics, please. Henry makes a mad dash for it and Hook goes to make chase only to have Will Scarlet interrupt him. He wants to pay Hook back for the black guy now that Emma isn't around to protect her pirate. Will is easily outmaneuvered and Hook wastes no time running after Henry. Will basically knocks himself out in a stunning display of I don't know what. And just, Jesus Christ, baby boy, what is your life? <laughs> it was so funny and sad. It was pathetic. Like, oh, it was no. real pathetic. And you're it's just kind of so like, pathetic. oh, honey, go back to Wonderland and go get your lady. <laughs> Sir, I think it's too much for you out here. <laughs> You're a danger to yourself. Elsewhere, Emma and Elsa seek Ingrid out at her ice cave. Ingrid lurks and we are taken to the past again. As Ingrid and Emma try to flag down a taxi one evening, Emma preciously laments that she wishes she had the magic to just poof them back home out of the cold and into a nice warm tub. Inspired, Ingrid recalls the moment when the electricity within the crane machine glitched just before Emma won her prize. She eagerly pulls Emma into the middle of the road, telling the young girl to stop the car that's coming, you know, straight at them. Panic-stricken and bewildered, Emma tears herself from Ingrid's grip just as the car swerves out of the way. Ingrid babbles about the time when a traumatic experience unleashed a power she didn't even know she had. Horrified, Emma believes that Ingrid is insane and runs from her. Yeah, believe it or not, shoving people into oncoming traffic probably isn't the best way to win friends and influence people. No wonder why I have so little friends. Yeah, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it, Joe. I haven't done it to you two. (laughs) That's why we're still here. Yeah, that's why you're for your friends. Yeah. Now I've learned. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Chell, and I've been leaving my window open since I was 11 years old in the hopes I would be given the dark gift. You can find me blasting the bodacious soundtrack to The Lost Boys and laughing at memes taking a bite out of The Vampire Chronicles. 
I'm Tori, and I've been hoping to run into a vampire since I was 12. But like, one I can befriend, not one who will kill me. You can find me reading almost any book with a vampire in it and being angry about the final seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Vampires have ruined our lives. That's why we're making a podcast about it. Our podcast discusses vampire books, movies, TV shows, tropes, folklore, and more. If it's about the fanged undead, we want to talk about it. So tune in to Vampires Ruin My Life, available wherever you find podcasts. In the present, Regina is skulking around Storybrooke looking for Emma. She comes across Snow charming Kristoff and Anna and baby Neil in the sheriff's station. She is thrilled to be able to exact her revenge on them, deciding to go for baby Neil first. Anna gets in between the pram and the evil queen, but Regina just poofs her and Kristoff away. She then releases Snow from her cell. Snow mocks her stepmother, saying she is too afraid to get her hands dirty. At this, Regina places a sword in each of their hands. A dumb move, really. Snow is scrappy as hell. Yeah, I was like, one of these two women are trained in swordplay, and it's not Regina, so I don't know why she's the one giving them both swords, other than hubris. Hubris, Hubris. yes. We return to the past, in Maine of 2001, where Ingrid is still hunting for Emma. The scroll has led her directly to the hidden location of Storybrooke. In the present ice cave, Ingrid reveals herself, but is dismayed to discover Emma and Elsa have removed the ribbons. She shows them the memory stones, and insists that once she returns their memories to them, Emma and Elsa will not want to hurt her in any way. All they contain are good memories. Though Emma accurately points out that magic cannot create love, Ingrid amends that it can return the love once held in the past. She gloats at the reluctance of the other two women have in killing her. During this whole section, I kept expecting Ingrid to, like, offer them tea. Because I remember in the Bell episode, Poppy was like, the memory stone, you're supposed to, like, serve it in hot water. And that's why she can't, like, access her memories right away. So I was just like, why does Ingrid not have a villainous tea set set up? It was a missed opportunity and I wanted it to happen. Because hers are weirdly CGI purple, so they're different. Well, Bell's was purple too. Was it? But it wasn't CGI. It was an actual crystal. Oh. We flash back to November of 2011 when Emma first came to Storybrooke. She stops by any given Sunday and instantly is horrified to see Ingrid, who has not aged. Although she didn't age from 1982 to 2001, but, you know, whatever, suspended belief activated. Ingrid is over the moon to see Emma and quickly to tell her that Henry is right about everything. Emma is creeped out and goes to call stupid handsome Graham, but Ingrid quickly brings out her memory stone and removes all of Emma's memories of their time together. She takes hold of a dazed Emma, who she convinces took a spill. They carry on with their transaction, and Emma is none the wiser. I love that 2011 flashback Emma was wearing the blue jacket. It was very good to see that costume piece again. Also, it really did feel like season one Emma in the scene. I was impressed that Jennifer adjusted her performance to be that more guarded season one Emma, and I thought it was well done. Yeah, I think she even said, like, my kid, not my son. <laughs> Oh man, and the fact that she carried the memories up until early season one really adds to that Emma we meet in the pilot. Because this is another moment in her past where she almost had a happiness. And then with Ingrid's car test, it was like a betrayal. 
it was, you know, a betrayal of her safety. And what she thought was a genuine connection was actually either a crazy person or someone who was interested in her because of her supposed power, which must have been so confusing because she certainly doesn't believe in magic yet. And it really adds to like how hardened to the world Emma is when we first meet her and that she did carry these memories with her most of her life until they're wiped here. In the present, Regina and Snow are making an absolute mess of the sheriff's station as they brawl it out. Regina is impressed that baby Neil sleeps through the whole tussle and Mary Margaret shouts at her not to wake the baby. I was so worried about them potentially knocking over baby Neil. I really thought it was going to happen. I was like, oh God, the baby. Just like Lady and the Tramp, where Lady gets the rat when it goes into the cradle and it knocks over the baby. Mm-hmm. And then everyone has like a panic attack about it. After Regina gets her sparkly ass tossed through the glass wall partition of Emma's office, she resorts to magic to whoosh Mary Margaret backward. You said no magic, Snow cries. And Regina harps on the old adage, and you said you could keep a secret. And then Mary Margaret gets the upper hand as she screams, I was 10. (laughs) You know what, Snow? Good for you. Yeah. David is still locked up in his cell and he just is very absorbed in what is going on. Yeah, Charming was so into the fight. He was like, I may hate my wife right now. But but damn, she's she's hot. She's (laughs) real hot. (laughs) For some reason, like the way that they really focused on him and the way like he looks up at the camera as if like he's remembering love in his heart for Mary Margaret. So I almost thought that like he was like coming out of it or something. I don't know. He's just like, she's so hot right now. Oh, man, I do love my wife. It, it I could do be, love my Yeah. Could have been it, looking it, up and loved. It took him watching her beat the crap out of another woman to remember that he was in <laughs> love with her. Aw, that's sweet. Meanwhile, Anna and Kristoff find themselves back at the beach where they washed up. Kristoff storms off saying he intends to swim back to Arendelle if he has to. Anna doesn't think that's how portals work, but Kristoff just gets angry, saying his life used to be so simple before Anna came into it with crazy aunts and sisters who turned everything to eternal winter. Anna trips over a glass bottle, has another light bulb moment, and smashes the glass over Kristoff's head with apologies and a promise to make it up to him later. He goes down like a tree trunk. Oh God, that would have injured Kristoff so bad if this was real life or killed him. I mean, it was smart of Anna, but yikes. I was like, oh, God, not the bottle. Really? Like, I see it all the time, you know, like in movies. Oh, in real life, that would that, that could kill a person. That could kill a person, yeah. Oh, wow. The human head is a delicate thing. All right. I just Googled it, and apparently uh, it would be okay if it was like an empty beer bottle or a Coke bottle, at least in the case if it's a healthy adult. But something like a whiskey bottle or larger could potentially cause life-threatening blunt force trauma. Although, please, 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 please do not try this at home. I literally Googled one article. Who knows if this is actually accurate information? There's a lot of, a lot of wank and misinformation out there. Inside that glass bottle, now conveniently smashed, Anna discovers the note her mother wrote her during her dying moments upon the ship. Something contained within the letter excites Anna, and she momentarily forgets that she knocked out her fiancé before scrambling back up towards the town. I did really love her talking excitedly to Kristoff's unconscious body, though. I was just like, oh, honey, it was a very funny moment. We return to the ice cave where Elsa is unable to choose violence. But never fear, Emma Swan is here to always choose violence. Before she can murk Ingrid, though, Anna rushes in with the message from the bottle. And no, it's not from Sting, it's from Gerda, writing a formal apology to Elsa for trying to remove her powers. 
In her letter, Gerda laments how she couldn't accept her daughter for who she was and reveals the secret of her two forgotten sisters, saying of Ingrid that she would give anything to take back what she did and to hold her hand one more time. The bottle also contains one last magic rock or stone. Another memory stone containing everything Gerda had the troll mind wipe from Arendelle's collective memory. She gives her daughters the location of Ingrid's urn and begs them to restore her and the memories of her sisters to the people of Arendelle. Ingrid doesn't want to hear any of this drivel, though, because she is very warm and safe in her bed of rage and malice. She force chokes Anna, which does not inspire either Elsa or Emma to retaliate for some reason. Probably because Anna is insisting she is not going to give up on Ingrid because she is family and family sticks together or some horseshit that I will bitch about later. Anyway, Ingrid releases her, reads the letter for herself before touching the little memory pebble, remembering all of the happy times with her sisters. Realizing the error of her ways, Ingrid has a complete 180 in a split second and opts for redemption by death to undo the spell of shattered sight. Before she pieces out into the uh, great beyond, she returns Elsa and Emma's memories for their brief time spent with her in their respective past. I think this conclusion of Ingrid's story is why they chose to name Anna and Elsa's mother Gerda in this version. In the original Snow Queen fairy tale, the Snow Queen spell is broken after Gerda kisses her friend Kai, which unfreezes his heart and causes him to cry, which removes the shards of glass from his eye. And through her letter, Gerda in Once Upon a Time essentially unfreezes her sister's heart and causes her to cry, which she then removes all shards from the other eyes. So while not an exact recreation of the fairy tale, the inspiration is clear. And that did make me appreciate this ending more once I kind of sat and thought about it in comparison to the fairy tale. But overall, I still wish they hadn't ultimately done a redemption by sacrifice arc. When it comes to redemption, I would have wanted to see an Ingrid who had the chance to live and put in the work towards a redemption arc, like Regina has had to do. Amen, sister. Preach. <laughs> All over Storybrooke, the citizens are recovering from the spell. Regina, David, and Mary Margaret are having a real jolly laugh about the whole thing. Ha ha ha, we tried to murder each other. Isn't that quaint? I legitimately love their LOL. We almost killed each other laugh fest. It was <laughs> yeah, good. it was good. Everyone squares up with each other on Main Street. Even Henry comes out from hiding. There was a very good Henry has two moms moment in, in their reunion here. Yes, because he goes, mom, and he hugs Regina, and he goes, mom, and hugs Emma. <laughs> He's like, oh, Henry. Oh, Henry. And all's well that ends well, right? Oh, except no, we still have Mr. Gold to deal with, goddammit. <sighs> Killian returns to the shop without Henry, and he doesn't give a shit, and Rumple doesn't seem terribly sad about it anyway. He's still going to crumple Hook's heart to get out of town with his magic intact, but promises that so long as Emma and the other townsfolk don't try to stop him, he has no intention of harming them. To be honest, I think they wouldn't mind seeing the back of him. I mean, mm -hmm. well, I guess if Mr. Gold is trying to take Henry with them, then they would probably have some reservations about Mr. Gold leaving. Gold then makes a pretty cocky threat about being a menace in the world outside of Storybrooke, but that made me laugh for a thousand years because homie has plans to go to New York and dollars to donuts, he'll get his ass handed to him by the first piss baby sports ball fan he manages to tick off. Is your magic faster than a baseball bat? We'll find out. End credits. All right. I had fun with this episode. I really liked it, except for two aspects. 
Obviously, the Gold B plot is just so aggravating for reasons we have gone amply into depth about. So I'll not continue to lament them, except to add that it's a cheap way to introduce the next arc villains who are definitely strong enough to stand on their own. I've not even seen this part, but I know what's coming. And I know that these are strong actors coming, you know, so we don't need to put poor Robert Carlyle through the laundry again and again and again to hold up other people. Like, it's just, it's needless. Anyway. I really, really, really got grossed out when Ingrid had a literal chokehold on Anna and they had this poor girl, my favorite Disney princess, on the ground in pain saying she's going to love and accept Ingrid and stick by her no matter what because family. And we've talked about this before and it is such a shitty message to anyone, but especially children, that you have to stand by your abusive adult relatives because family. Like that is not a message to send to anyone. You have a shitty relative who decided to make their trauma everyone else's problem. You are under no obligation to have them in your life. Period. I think this was an okay episode, but the ending honestly just kind of crumpled in on itself and was very flat. Like the whole, okay, I guess I was wrong. I guess I'll kill myself thing was very, I don't know. It would have made a lot more sense for Ingrid to have like, I don't know, clung to her delusions until the bitter end and gone out swinging them for this lackluster thing to be her ending especially when they spent so much time building up the importance of emma coming to her powers and her and elsa learning to team up and use them together it seemed like we were going towards something on a much grander scale yeah i get that i totally get that it was disappointing and i think weak i think it was a weak ending for an otherwise pretty strong female antagonist mm. i also feel like this should have just been the season finale like, everything is wrapped up except for whatever Mr. Gold is doing, and I frankly don't really care what he's doing. Like, let him fuck <laughs> off to New York. I'm tired of looking at him. I don't <laughs> care anymore. <laughs> I mostly like this episode, although I do agree with the critiques my fellow narrators just shared. Like I said earlier, I was disappointed that they went with the redemption by death route for an overall strong story arc. It didn't feel right to me. I did like the inspiration from the original Snow Queen fairy tale, and I liked the choice of Gerda's words of love being what stopped Ingrid. But then Ingrid sacrificing herself felt like they didn't know what to do with, with her after that moment. In the grand scheme of things, and compared to the villains or previous villains on Once Upon a Time, Ingrid really isn't that bad. Like, the spell of Shattered Sight was awful, and she almost caused the death of most people in this town. So it almost was awful. But only one death is on her, and that was a complete accident. Well, maybe the kite guy, too. I don't know if he died or not, but her sister was a complete accident. And I think that's the only, like, confirmed death on her record. Rumpelstiltskin, Regina, all these people have done worse things than her. So why does she have to meet this fate? She almost pulled a Regina by sentencing the whole town to death and destruction, but she didn't. She was stopped by the power of love because this is a magical girl anime. <laughs> Ingrid did not leave, you know, a murder pit behind like the evil queen did. So. I think that should count for something, anything other than this. And it's not like this is the fate of the Snow Queen from the fairy tale. Like, there's no reason why this should have been her ending. But besides that, I thought this episode did have some really great moments and some great performances. I feel like that was so many more critiques than praises. 
I did actually like this episode. I did like it. I just wish they had done something different with Ingrid. Because she was a fantastic antagonist, and she did not deserve a lackluster ending. Hey, costumes. I loved seeing Emma's blue jacket again. It's such a great Emma look. Not as iconic as the red, but a real close second. Regina had an outfit, and the shoulders on that outfit could stab a man to death. I cannot say if I think that is a good or a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I really like the outfit. I mean, it was so much, but I thought she looked amazing in it. Baby, you just have a thing for Lana. <laughs> She's so cool. I like the shoulders, but I also have strong feelings for big shoulders, especially if they're deadly. <laughs> okay, it's time to play Who's That Guest Star. We have Rebecca Wasaki as Madame Faustina. Character actor Rebecca Wasaki has made a whole career of people going, hey, I've seen that lady before, and sure as shit, you probably have. As she has guest starred in many popular series, including The Sopranos, Big Love, True Blood, American Horror Story, The Mentalist, Heathers, Star Trek Picard, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Dope Sick. You also may recognize her from her starring roles in Devious Maids and the American remake of Ghosts. All right, now it's time to take a trip down Once Upon a Timeline. So this episode's flashbacks takes place entirely in the land without magic from three different time periods. So the first flashback of Ingrid's arrival in Boston takes place after those seen in season four, episode eight, Smash the Mirror. And before those we see in season one, episode 20, The Stranger, where a young Pinocchio and a baby Emma arrive in the Enchanted Forest. For the next set of flashbacks, we are shown a teen Emma being fostered by Ingrid. Now, those take place after those seen in Season 4, Episode 5, Breaking Glass, where Emma's stolen camera is stolen by the other boy being fostered by Ingrid. And before those seen in Season 2, Episode 6, Tallahassee, where an older team Emma meets Neil. And the final flashback of the episode shows a tense reunion of Ingrid and Emma in Stroybrook. Sometime between the present day storylines of season one, episode four, The Price of Gold, and season one, episode five, That Still Small Voice. And that's it for me. Time for some rants and raves. I've really just been trying to absorb Halloween directly into my skin, which has been sort of successful. I've been mostly trapped in my sewing room making costumes, but like every once in a while I get released for parole and get to go to Oogie Boogie Bash at California Adventure. And last week, we also hit up Carved at Descanso Gardens, which was really fun and just good chill vibes and helped me get some of the autumnal delights I've been whining about wanting to experience and not getting to since, see above, I've just been stuck in my sewing room. But uh, also, hey, our flag means death is back, and that's pretty awesome too. Oh, yes, that's been so good. Um, I think for me, last week, we saw Town again. And the current touring cast is amazing. So if you have a chance to see the current national tour, listeners, I highly recommend it. Matthew Patrick Quinn's voice is absolutely incredible, and he has such an impressive presence as Hades. He absolutely killed it. And J. Antonio Rodriguez was the most earnest and adorable Orpheus, and he just shattered my heart with his voice and his expressive face. And Amaya Braganza was an absolutely heartbreaking Eurydice's so powerful too and their chemistry with Orpheus was wonderful and Amaya's performance of the song Flowers was just it was just a gut punch like it was the most powerful performance of the song that I've ever heard so I just thought the whole cast was amazing 
I'm so glad Lynn and me were able to see this current cast perform twice as they toured the States. Nice. I've been enjoying both of your photos from your outings, your adventures, your various mm -hmm. adventures, both uh, to musical theater as well as all your spooky tiding adventures. I, I kind of lost my shit when the Sunbonnets costumes came out. Those were really, really adorable. Oh, thank country you. Buyers. It almost okay. killed me making them, so thank you. But oh, they were such so a good, good though, They're Lynn. So cute. Thank you. I'm so tired. And your Giselle. Oh, my God. I saw that today. I lost my shit. I was like, Giselle, I love you. My first favorite Disney princess. I love you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, she looks so pretty as Giselle. So pretty. So pretty. Jeez. Oh, so uh, I got another spoopy tattoo. Yay. Yay for me. Yay. Yay. My forearm is almost done. So huzzah for that. We have Mr. Destiny, a smaller version of the uh, pumpkin car to do right behind the ghost one. And then some bats. And then that uh, half sleeve will be done. So nice. huzzah for that. I'm currently working at an undisclosed location. So there are two dogs being rather pathetic on the opposite side of the door to this room. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm looking forward to handing out candy on Halloween with Ariana and having a dinner with her and my co-hosts after Halloween, of course. Otherwise, I've been watching Our Flag Means Death, and I do need to catch up on that, and the new season of The Great British Bake Off. And uh, I'm really behind on Lower Decks, but my Lower Decks friends and I have been watching that slowly. But I did finish Ahsoka and been feeling all the feels. All right, one sirs, before we wrap up the end of the episode, I just wanted to take a moment and ask a little favor. If you are enjoying the podcast and have a little bit of spare time, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Positive ratings help us not only appeal to new listeners, but also make our day a little brighter to read. I know we all live such busy lives, but if you have a second to spare, we would really love to hear from you. Thank you so much. And we hope everyone has a wonderful Halloween. Be safe and have fun. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. In the aftermath of the Snow Queen's spell, our heroes try to pick up the pieces and Regina has to make a difficult choice. Hook's fate hangs in the balance as Gold's quest for power threatens everyone he holds dear. And in the Enchanted Forest flashback, an intrusion during Belle's life at Rumpelstiltskin's Dark Castle will wreak havoc in both the past and the future. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. The moral of this episode is, your strong female antagonists deserve better. Visit us at Spotify for podcasters to answer episodic questions, send us voice messages, or to find out other ways you can help support the podcast. You can find our page at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash once upon a rewatch if you enjoy once upon a rewatch please leave us a review on apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice talk fairy tales with us on instagram at once upon rewatch on tumblr at once upon a rewatch .tumblr.com. the artwork for a podcast was by lychee ruru we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music kevin mcleod our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. And remember, all plot devices come with a price.
anyway, she exits the building only to be confronted by Elsa and Emma who order her to stop in the... I was going to say stop in the name of madness, but I'm like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what happened. (laughs) Before you break my heart. 